You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. And we're, um, and we're going to go sailing. Now, apologies, I can only, um, I can only uh, laser one side, but I'll try, and, I'll, try, I'll try and share my laser with both sides, okay? So, just so we all know what we're doing. Um, oh, who's, ever, who's ever been to the Greek islands? Who's done some sailing through the Greek islands? Look at that. Terrific. Let's all go to the Greek islands. Yes. Amen? So let's jump on board and um, we're going to just jump on board here and just begin to sail um, through the Greek islands and um, we're going to make our way through about to about here and there we have Athens. Athens, very famous for its, and its Olympic Games. Very good. Okay, I think I'll move across to this side. <laughs> so uh, we got to Athens, that's a good start, isn't it? But we are going to make our way through, and we're going to finally come down this little narrow bit of land here, which is the... Isthmus of Corinth. A very narrow bit of land, but on that very, very famous as well because they used to play a lot of games there as well. Um, Athens, of course, famous for its Olympic Games, uh, but the Isthmian Games, a lot of things happened there. And throughout the letter that we're going to look at and open up in the next few weeks, um, we'll find the writer talking about running the race and uh, being an athlete and uh, winning the prize and uh, garland of flowers and things like that. So we've got a lot of happenings here in Athens and then into Corinth. Okay, I'll come across here. This is good, this is good. And um, so we're going to finally land, we're going to... We're not... Oh, sorry about that. These remote controls. And finally we're going to land in Corinth. Um, a very significant city, a huge port, it's got two harbours and as you can imagine it's controlling, it's controlling um, all of the sea travel from east to west. Corinth, um, a, very, a very big, a very wealthy city therefore, um, commercial, a lot of money changing hands in, in this city. It's a Roman colony uh, and it's an extension of the Roman Empire. And then, who is that? Who is that? God. Um, let's bring God into this, um, in, into this city. God. That's a good idea, isn't it? Well, the God of Corinth, uh, compared to our God, are uh, completely different. Um, they didn't have our God. But they had this God. Well, she was a goddess. And she was the goddess of licentiousness. Um, she had under contract 
over a thousand professional prostitutes who worked for this chief deity. Corinth, what a city, what a religion, but also known, also known as, um, okay, also known for its wisdom, not the sort of wisdom that we have, known for its wisdom, for its, for its worldly wisdom. Corinth, known for its philosophies, and Corinth, known for its, for its eloquence, and their uh, public eloquent speakers. So to sum summarise Corinth, culture, eloquence, commercialism, competitive, wealth, money, prosperity, prestige, immorality of every kind, Wine, women and song were the order of the day. What a city. This is going to be our focus in the next few weeks. This city, would you agree? This city needs help. This city needs healing. And this city needs hope. This city needs God. God loves cities. I mean, he loves cities. He loves the small country rural towns, but he loves the big cities. He loved Nineveh, which was a, which was a God-rejecting city. Sent one man there, and the whole town was saved. Jesus, as he makes his way into Jerusalem, he weeps over this Christ-rejecting city. Cities are very, very important to God. How are we going to do it? Lord, what is your answer? What, what is your answer? Could there be an answer for Corinth? Enter God, but now enter, enter a man called Saul. Lord, are you serious? Saul, do you know who this man is? This man, this man, this man is full of religion. He has a heart for God in some way. He's full of zeal. But every time a believer, e.g. like Stephen, Every time a person came to Christ and dared to put their faith in Jesus, there was this man called Saul. And he was full of religion, he was full of zeal, but he was full of hate and full of anger, full of violence and full of murder. And as the people brought the early believers, e.g. Stephen here, it was Saul who gave his blessing on the death and the martyrdom of those early disciples of Jesus. 
enter Saul. A spiritual man, a very spiritual man, but a very spiritually lost man. Until one day, Saul, as he was traveling on the road to Damascus, he met a man. He met a man called Jesus. And Jesus on that day miraculously transformed this man, this Christ-rejecting man, into a reborn, commissioned apostle of Jesus Christ, who ends up writing about half of the New Testament, and in particular this letter that we're going to open up in a few minutes. And so Saul, ah, no, he's no longer Saul, but he is Paul. He's had, something's happened to his heart. He's had a cardio transplant. He is now walking and talking and beginning to preach about this Jesus that he once hated and put his disciples to death. And so now this man, transformed and changed, now he's journeying all through Asia, all through Europe, highly motivated by the love of Christ. And so on his second tour, he arrives at this godless, commercial, competitive, wealthy, licentious, eloquent speaking city. It's about 50 AD and he stays in Corinth for about 18 months and he begins, he begins to preach. Paul, could I ask you to come and share with us this is what happened in Corinth. Uh, Acts 18, 1, uh, sorry, Acts 18, verse 1 to 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla became Claudius. Oh, sorry. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. For now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justus, a, wo a worshipper of God. Crispus, the, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed, that they believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. 
and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Big hand for Paul, big hand. Pretty good, thanks Paul. So Paul, that was good Paul. So Paul arrives in Corinth and he preaches. There's only one name he preaches, good to sing about this morning, we always do it here. He preached Jesus. He proclaimed Jesus. And quite a few of the Corinthians, they believed. They put their belief and they put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And as they believed, they were baptised. And as they were baptised, they received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came to live inside them. As a kind of a, a kind of a, like an engagement ring, um, like a deposit, like a guarantee that there's more to come. And so these Corinthian believers then, then they gather. They gather together. They gather together in little house churches and they're like newborn babes. And so they begin to grow. They begin to grow. And so the church of Jesus Christ is now planted in Corinth. Amen? The church of Jesus Christ is planted in this particular city that we've been looking at. And Paul, he sees a change. And so he says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? So Paul is seeing a big change in these Corinthians as they put their faith and their belief in the Lord Jesus. He says, and such were some of you. You were like that. What a list. What a Corinthian list. But now you're no longer like that. But you have been washed, you've been sanctified, and you have been justified. And it's been the Spirit of God. And we're going to look more at the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity in the weeks to come. And so they begin to grow. But then, sadly, their spiritual growth is stunted and their progress in Christ is minimal. And they stay like newborn babes. So by this time, Paul has left Corinth and now he's gone across to Ephesus. And he has heard that there are all kinds of issues at Corinth. Thank you to Graham last week, um, who shared with us about the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, where the seed is sown, and it begins to grow. But then the thorns and the thistles and the rocky ground, it, it chokes out the seed and the seed does not 
grow to its fullest extent. And so, in around about 56 AD now, uh, Paul puts pen to paper and he actually writes 1 Corinthians. So our purpose and our task today is just simply to intro 1 Corinthians and we're going to do just a brief overview of the book and then over the next few weeks, um, our preaching team led by Pastor Steve will unpack these significant um, and important themes that run through the entire book. We'll put these themes back into its original context um, and then we'll apply it to our lives and to our church here in Burley. So in preparation for this series, could I encourage you to, to read and meditate on this letter of 1 Corinthians? There's only 16 chapters, so maybe one chapter a day. A chapter a day keeps... <laughs> You've got it. Get, get into 1 Corinthians and let 1 Corinthians get into you. It is a letter. So how many times do we open an envelope and we read? Or what, what do we do? How do we read it? Do we just read, oh, dear Ian, and fold it up? Or do we go right to the end and, and how, how's it going to finish? Love you lots. But we miss out everything in between. So it's a letter. Read it from the beginning and read it all the way through because that was its original idea. And so Paul begins to address um, the issues of this um, carnal Christian Corinthian church. And, um, and so the first issue that he wants to um, write to them about is a thing called division. Chapters 1, 2, 3 and 4. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? And so we've got division happening in the local church in Corinth. Um, it was a kind of a party spirit going on. And there was like some groupies, like I belong to this group and I belong to this group and I belong to this group. Someone, someone once sang once, united we stand, divided we fall. And so what the Corinthian believers were doing, they were actually picking out their favourite teachers um, based on their eloquence. And, but Paul says, no, 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 no. This is not a popularity contest. For who are we? Who are we? We're not gods. We're simply servants. Some of us sow, uh, some of us water, and then some of us reap. But it's God who gives the increase and he brings in the harvest. So he addresses the problem of division. Secondly, ah, oh, oh, are you serious? Yep, I am. I bet you you're glad you came today. I'm so glad I've got to cover this one today, but very briefly. It is actually reported 
that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Are you serious? That it's the kind of sexual immorality that, that not even the pagans, not even the Gentiles, not even those that are outside of Christ, it's not even, it's not even named in their communities. But what's going on in your community? It is actually happening inside your church. There is all kinds of immorality and loose morals. There's a lot of sleeping around going on in this church. Sleeping around before marriage, sleeping around in marriage, and sleeping around after marriage. There's incest, there's harlotry, there's prostitution, there's adultery, there's fornication. There's a lot of free love in Corinth. But you know what? There's nothing free about free love. Because free love always ends up being very costly. Because it, it results in broken down people. And it results in broken down relationships. And it results in broken down marriages. So big issues at Corinth, marriage, immorality. So, thirdly, I have to address you regarding food. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Two issues here regarding food. The first one is, are you, was that, did you do that? That meat you just ate, that food, that meal, that meat that you just ate, wasn't that meat offered to Aphrodite, to Venus? Wasn't that meat offered to the goddess of licentiousness? Yep, sure was. And in Christ, I can do anything. In Christ, I can do everything. In Christ, I'm free. I can do it. But the other brother said, well, that's good for you, but that's not good for me because I can't do that. I can't do it. You can, but I can't. And so my conscience is not allowing me to do it. So Paul writes to them and says, come on, guys, bit of sensitivity. No one is better than the other. Just because you eat meat, it doesn't mean that you're more superior. You're not more important. Come on, guys, a bit of respect and a bit of sensitivity to each other. And then secondly, when you come together... It's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. And so here is 
a degrading of the Holy Communion table. This is pretty serious. Uh, they didn't celebrate like we've, we've been doing this morning with just a little bit of this. This was actually a meal. This was actually like a love feast meal. Lots to eat and lots to drink. But it all had to do with the Lord Jesus. But they were not, uh, they were not waiting for each other. They would plough ahead. And so they were eating and drinking unworthily. Fourthly, um, Paul writes to them and, and talks about the gathering. Oh, there's some big issues here in the local church in chapters 12, 13 and 14. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So when the church, the body of Christ, gathered for weekly worship, as we do, guess what was happening? There were powerful spiritual experiences expressed. There were prophetic words spoken out. And there were loud, unknown foreign languages and dialects with no interpretations. Just in this 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 10 times the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is mentioned here. The Spirit of God, who is the third person of the Trinity, who is God, has the ministry of revealing the deep things of God. That's his job. And we'll find that throughout the letter, in, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So please note here that there is nothing wrong with all these uh, spiritual manifestations or spiritual gifts because God is the giver of all the spiritual gifts. But where there is confusion and where there is chaos and where there is disorder and where there is distraction and where there is somebody saying, well, look what I've got. And when somebody says, look what God has blessed me with, I can do extraordinary things. Look at me. Look at me. We have a problem. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 is all about body life. It's all about the body, but it's all about all the body, all the working parts, all the parts working. None is any better than the other because we all need each other and they're all for the common good so that it's not about me being edified with my gift, but it's about my gift edifying you and you edifying me with the spiritual gifts that God. So in the next few weeks, we're going to unpack this together. We're going to look at the abuse and the misuse of spiritual gifts. But on the positive, we also want to see the proper use of the spiritual gifts. Now, number five, Paul has to address them on this one. It's about the resurrection. 
So, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So false teachers with their false doctrine have now infiltrated the church at Corinth. And now these false teachers are saying, are you serious? A resurrection? That is illogical. It's impossible. It's, it's ludicrous. Because we've got some news for you, church. When you're dead, you're dead. A, a resurrection? Are you serious? Well, Paul has to address them. If they are, if the false teachers are correct, if they are correct, then our preaching, our faith, our belief, our hope and our future is in vain. If there's no resurrection, uh, well, we might as well stop now, okay? Thanks for coming. And uh, the preaching's going to stop now and you can go home because there's no resurrection. Amen? Okay, no one's, no one's moving. <laughs> no one's going home. Because two weeks ago, what did we say? As we do every Sunday, we declared that he is risen. And he's risen indeed. So we'll keep on preaching and we'll keep on believing and we'll keep on putting our hope in Jesus because he is our future. Do you know what? There is more evidence now that Jesus rose from the dead than Julius Caesar ever existed. There's more evidence now that demands a verdict. So as we finish, the question is to condone or not to condone. The apostle could have swept all these issues under the carpet and just pretend they don't exist. But as a father to his spiritual children, he corrects them and he lovingly disciplines them. Did you say discipline? Well, that's a word forgotten today, isn't it? But Paul believed in it. And so, so that the whole purpose of it is that the church can be light in the darkness. For we are different to the world. So here we are. There we are. There's Corinth. And there is the church in Corinth, in a nutshell. What a city. What a church. And so today, what a church. Today, we've just been looking at the carnal Christian Corinthian church. We see the problems with division and food and the resurrection and gathering and sex. 
and Paul addresses them. And these are the five um, arching themes throughout the book. But we finish with this. Uh, there is another theme. There is an over, overarching theme of this particular letter. And his name is... Okay. His name... You shall call his name... <clears throat> you shall call his name Jesus because he will save and he will deliver and he will heal. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is the overarching theme. Read through the letter, even if you just jot down every time Jesus is mentioned from chapters 1 to 16. Because Jesus is our answer. He's our answer for division because he brings unity. He is the answer for food because he, in fact, is the body and the blood, the bread and the wine. Jesus is the answer for our gathering because he is the giver of all the spiritual gifts and brings us together. Jesus is the answer for all of our marriage and sexual intimacy. Jesus is the answer because he's the one who created and made it. Jesus is the answer in our marriage and relationships because every marriage Good to hear a lot of people still getting married. Married looks like marriage is still, it's still, still happening, still going on. Good to hear. But we need a third party. Jesus is the third party. Let him into your marriage and into your family. And then finally, Jesus is the resurrection. Because he said, I am the resurrection and the life just going to ask our quality of our music team could just come we're just going to finish our time together we've been able to explore these five problem themes but let's look at these themes through the lens of the gospel because Jesus it's all it's all about him isn't it someone once wrote Jesus Jesus only is our message. Jesus, all our theme shall be. We will lift up Jesus ever and Jesus only will we see. Let's just, let's just be seated just for a minute. Close our eyes, reflect, just listen to this beautiful music. If God the Holy Spirit has spoken to us in any... In, any way whatsoever well this morning would be a good opportunity amen to yeah just feel free just come forward while we're singing or at the end of our time and and we'll be here as leaders to pray for you if you would like that this morning god bless you thanks for coming i trust that first corinthians will be a real blessing to us all in the weeks to come